0: Joined today by Stephen Pacheco, as I'm pronouncing that right, It's Stephen Pacheco. Pacheco, Pacheco. Okay. For some reason, I wanted. To, I've always wanted to put a an n in there somewhere, like Pacheco. but it's Pacheco.
1: Yeah, it's Pacheco. I've gotten a lot of ends in there. Um, I've gotten Pacheco and Pancheco.
0: Pacheco, but 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 no end whatsoever. It's Stephen Pacheco, uh, with the Trace Evidence podcast. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Stephen.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: I'm looking into your background a little bit. I've listened to the podcast. Podcast is, is fantastic. And I want to get into kind of the format of it because I really like the way you format your episodes. But if we go back before podcasting time. So you started your career as a, uh, a sports writer. Is
1: that right? Somewhat. Um, I did the first writing I ever got paid for online. I wrote about professional wrestling. Okay. So that was the sports all of like WWF stuff. Yeah, that's what I did. I had a YouTube channel and a Twitter account, and I wrote about wrestling every week, and I was on, like, a bunch of different wrestling websites. Oh, wow. How did you get into that? I've been a wrestling fan since I was a kid, and uh, one day I saw a website asking for writers to apply, so I did, and then through that website, I had, like, seven other websites ask me to write for them as well.
0: Oh, sweet. Did you ever get was it all, like working from home or did did you, that lead into you like going to wrestling matches or interviewing or getting to meet any of these guys
1: no it was pretty much all from home they basically gave me an open format write about whatever you want to write about every week so sometimes it was a review of a show sometimes it was about a legend who hadn't done anything in a while
0: oh that's cool I have there was a is I don't even know because I'm just I, I'm not hip enough to be into anything that's popular um yeah. but is is, is wrestling it seemed like pro wrestling went through this, like when I was little, so I'm, i you so you're what, 35, I'm 10 years older than you, so I went through the 80s when it was like the Hulk Hogan years and all that stuff, where WWF was like super popular, then it kind of went away, and then it seemed like the early 2000s, it came back, and you know, in the Stone Cold Steve Austin days and all that, it got popular again, then it seemed like it kind of went away, is it still, is it still kind of a niche thing, or has it come really back into popularity?
1: Um, it's always cyclical. I mean, you pretty much pointed it out. Uh, it was huge in the eighties with Hulk Hogan. Then it was big in the late nineties with Steve Austin. I'd say it's in the middle somewhere right now. It doesn't pull the numbers that it used to pull. It's not as popular as it once was, but WrestleMania still makes millions and millions of dollars. So. Right. Do you still follow wrestling off and on? I don't follow it like I used to. I used to watch every show every week. Now I watch WrestleMania and that's about it. That's it. All right.
0: And, and so Erica tells me that you have you've written a chapter for a book about podcasting. What's that what's that all about?
1: Um, I had done an interview very, very early on with a man who was he it was just interviewing podcasters about what they do. And I guess he liked the interview enough that he asked me to write a chapter in there kind of about um what it meant to me to be a podcaster or what I thought podcasting was. So I wrote it up for him and sent it over and he liked it enough that it got in there. I think his book is full of chapters written by other podcasters. That's cool. Do you you know what's the title of the book? Oh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Um, (laughs) I want to say it's like the podcasters coach or something like that.
0: I was hoping it had a lot of hot tips in it for how I
1: can do my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know it probably does I pretty much just read my section of it And moved on honestly <laughs>
0: Right yeah, It's like when you, when you take a group photo You really only care about what you look like And then it doesn't matter what anybody else looks like And you move on Yeah
1: you know you write yeah. something You read it back to yourself 80 times And then it gets published and you're like God I hope I didn't say something stupid in there <laughs> Right
0: <laughs> Right um. Uh, so, are, are you're heading to CrimeCon? This 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 will come out before CrimeCon. You're you're gonna be on Podcast Row. Yeah, I'll be there. Sweet. Is this your first CrimeCon? Have you been before?
1: No. This will be. Um. I guess my third. Nice. So we've probably come across each other somewhere in CrimeCon. Oh, I'm probably. Assuming. Um. I'm pretty quiet and generally stick to myself. So I do the podcast row thing, and then I kind of hide in a corner so I don't meet a ton of people.
0: Oh, gotcha. So you haven't been at the 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 ridiculous gatherings where the captain and the Gen Y guys and I are all drinking, making a fool of ourselves.
1: Oh, I've been there. I've just been in the corner.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I was at every single one of them. I watched you dumbasses from the back.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Well, I was doing my own thing in the corner, but uh, yeah, I've been to all those things. I know. I don't know if you were in Austin for it last year, but I was there. And then New Orleans, I was there when they had the party at the bar that was upstairs.
0: Yep. 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 Yeah. So, you, did you go to the Jackalope we did last year? Yeah, did yeah, I was there. Meetup? Yep, when we had Jason Baldwin there, tucked in the corner with us.
1: Yeah, it was my uh, first time going out and having a drink since because of the pandemic and everything. So I don't remember uh, a ton of it, but I was there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't remember a lot of a lot of those those meetups. <laughs> uh, so now, well, this is this might be the creepiest fact that Erica's ever found. You know she she really digs deep on people and and I'm I'm sorry this is very intrusive, um, but she says that um, that you used to work at J C Penney's and Staples. I don't know why I need to know that or why it's on here or why Erica decided to find that out. But uh, can you tell us about J C Penney's and
1: Staples? Sure. Um, so I grew up um, on Long Island in New York and I lived there till I was 24 and. The last job I had worked there was Staples. I worked there for about a year. My family had all moved down here. I was like, nah, I'm in my early 20s. I'm going to stay in New York. And then I realized, mm-hmm. wow, New York's really expensive and Staples yeah. doesn't cover it. So I moved down here to North Carolina. I live in the middle of nowhere and I picked up uh-huh. work at JCPenney and I worked there. Um, I started as just like a, an unboxing person and worked my way up to running their logistics and worked there for nine years until they closed my store oh wow and did you have any other transition between that
0: and doing the podcast
1: no actually i started doing the podcast six months before jc penny closed i didn't even know it was closing when i started i thought this was just going to be like a part-time hobby
0: nice and now is this your full-time gig now or do you do any other day work no this is it this is it That's awesome. What, did you, did you, when you started the podcast, were you hoping to make a career out of it or were you just kind of started no. for fun and it turned um, into that?
1: No, I thought, like, oh, I'll do some episodes, you know, I'll talk about stuff I like, probably no one will listen. And after a couple of months, I'll just quit it. Um, That's I right. didn't realize it would become my job, and I really didn't realize how involved and um, how much time it takes to do this,
0: right. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, your story is similar to mine. I mean, mine was the fire department, but I was just doing it as a hobby and never for a million years thought I could make a living at it. And it's in you like like me and so many others are just people that had no background in doing anything like this are now now professionals in the industry. You're writing yeah. books about it.
1: <laughs> it's very weird, um, you know, because I'm a behind the, I'm a writer. I'm a behind the scenes guy. So to uh-huh. be the personality of a podcast or whatever is very. Um, not what i expected it to be sure so
0: how did you learn to well let me talk so it sounds like with your like kind of day job career that wasn't really in the writing field or anything like that how did how did you get into writing did you go to school for that or was it just a another hobby that really took off for you
1: um i started writing when i was 6 uh, i used to write little books at home and i animated them at the time very poorly um and i just always wrote in my off time it was My favorite thing to do. When I would go to school, I'd come home and I'd go outside with a notebook and write for four or five hours until the sun went down. And then I'd come home. So that's what I did for a long time. Then in high school, I had a couple of teachers who were supportive of my writing. They got me to join like the school's lit magazine, the screenwriting stuff. I started winning awards. And I just kind of took it from there, went off to college and continued doing that and then realized, I don't know why I'm in college if I want to be a writer.
0: Right. So you just decided to go instead of going to college to learn to be a writer that you were you just became a writer.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, You know, anyone who's ever taken writing courses, generally, if you're lucky, you get a good person who wants to help you get better. But usually you're taking a course taught by somebody who didn't write well enough to make it and is kind of grumpy and will try and take your writing and make it fit a box. And that just never Uh worked for me. I. I like to write my own way and do my own thing. So there really wasn't anything they could teach me other than the basics. Everything else was I had to learn it myself and you learn to write better by writing more and reading more. And learn your
0: own voice too, how to write in the style that you want to write in. And I suppose no one can really teach that.
1: Right. It's just, I had no preparation for what I do now. My writing was, I wrote Mm -hmm. a lot of fiction short stories and a ton of poetry. I actually Uh hated writing in the style that I podcasted. I never liked writing informative essays or anything like that. So it was Mm -hmm. such a transition for me to get into, all right, I'm just taking a just the facts approach and kind of dumping all of my whatever creativity and stuff I might have thrown in in fiction. I kind of got rid of and just stuck to, I wanted the show to just be, here's what happened.
0: Was that transition hard for you or did you find it pretty easy to make it?
1: It's still hard for me. It's it's still a learning process. Like anyone who has listened to my show for the past five years that I've been doing it, um, it's changed over those five years because every once in a while, I just feel like, all right, let's try it this way. And maybe for four or five weeks, I write it a little different. I see if it's better or worse, if I like it or not. But it's still a transition that's happening five years into it. How do you deal with it? With- feedback and stuff because
0: i mean you're you've been around for a long time in the industry and you've had i'm sure you've built up a fan base you're always getting new people and and uh of course you're, you're established fan base how do you deal with that kind of feedback do you actually take that when you're when you're making changes and like that or is, or is are you listening are you yourself deciding i'd like it to sound different or are you taking that feedback from your from your audience
1: um 99 of the time it's me i just think hey uh-huh. let's try it this way or let's change things around and see how it goes. I don't really deal with a ton of feedback. I get a lot of emails and comments and that stuff. But generally speaking, and I'm sure you've found this somewhat to be true, usually the people who have really good ideas on stuff that could make your show better aren't the ones that are sending you emails. Uh, It's usually the people who want you to change it to the way they want it to be. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I certainly went through a period of insecurity there where I was like, oh, maybe I should change this, and maybe I should. And then eventually I thought, no, the show works because I did it my way. So if I start changing it for everybody else, it's not going to be my show anymore, and I'm not going to want to do it.
0: Right. Yeah, and you're exactly, I've gone through that exact same process, where at the beginning it was like, I really, you take to heart anything somebody somebody's telling you they don't like about your show, and then started making modifications. But yeah, at some point, they're exactly, the people that really have something quite constructive to say aren't the ones telling you, to change it, but you know, I'll, I'll get all of the, you'll get you'll get a message that says, you know, I don't like the theme song. You should change your theme song. And you're like, well, there's two hundred thousand people listening, and there's one of you that doesn't like the theme song. Did you really think you were going to write me and I was going to change the theme song? That's what I want to say. What I say is thanks for the input, but it's yeah, like, it just irks me so much. It's like what entitlement do you? You know, I like your show, but I don't like the music, so I'd like you to change it for me.
1: Right. I mean. I did my first 99 episodes where when I was going through the evidence section, there was background music under it. When I got to episode 100, I got rid of that. So I've now done 94 episodes without it. Well, when Uh I had it, I got a ton of emails asking me to get rid of it. I got rid of it. I get a ton of emails asking me to bring it back. So it's like, I can't make everybody happy.
0: Yeah. You figure that out pretty soon, pretty quickly that for just anybody that's complaining about something, there's just as many people that love it and then there's a the huge crowd that's indifferent to it because it doesn't really matter <laughs> you
1: know yeah but i mean yeah, i've you... had i would also get other people because i would post polls i've done them on twitter should i keep background music in? and i get people saying i didn't even know you had background music mm-hmm. so it's like well all right then i guess as long as you're hearing what i'm saying that's what matters
0: yeah yeah and and, and by the way if someone's telling you they didn't realize you had background music then that is perfectly executed background music
1: <laughs> yeah that's You know, the whole background music thing for me was Unsolved Mysteries. It was like that music would cue up and it would just make it Mm -hmm. seem creepier and all that kind of stuff. And that's originally what I thought. But after a hundred episodes, it was like, I've been using the same song. It's driving me crazy. I need a break.
0: Yeah. Right. So how did you, how did you learn the, the, because you, you produce, edit, do everything yourself, right? Yeah. What was that process
1: like learning that? um complicated. I still, to this day, feel like I don't know what the hell I'm doing when it comes to audio. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know the audio well enough to be able to, you know, make my voice sound better and noise gate it and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I just tool around with knobs until I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. So I've just have the benefit of the fact that I've always been really good with technology. So whatever software you put in front of me, I'll figure out how to work it in a way that works right. for me, maybe not the way you would recommend using it, but
0: yeah, it's so funny that every, there's so many of us out there that didn't come from this background that all had to self, you know, I, I started off watching a YouTube video with a teenager telling me how to work audacity, you yeah. know, and yeah. And then, you, you know, you get better equipment and maybe better software along the way, but it's just tinkering around and, and figuring it out. So we just recently went through a change of our, my editor, uh, moved on to another opportunity. So I have a new editor coming on and she came in this weekend and we were going over, you know, kind of transitioning how we do things. And it's, and, and we're kind of presenting it as like, so this is how it's done. And then and she produces her own podcast, which sounds great. It's a uh, Kelly Barron's brink from the uh, true crime IRL podcast. Okay, Yeah. And it's and <laughs> just and like, Oh, that's not the way I do it at all. I do everything. Like this. like It's like, there's another way. <laughs> there's a, like, we thought this was the only way to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I often talk to other podcasters, and they always tell me the same thing, which is, you know, writing it's fine, recording it's fine, they hate editing. Mm -hmm. I do them at the same time, so I record and edit simultaneously, so as soon as I hit the stop button for the last time, my episode's ready to go.
0: I don't even know how you go about doing that. You're making edits in real time as you're moving along?
1: Yeah, I pull my script up. I read through it as best I can. As soon as I screw up, I hit stop, go backwards to the end of the last sentence, cut it, hit record again and keep going. And when I'm done, it's all organized on the timeline and ready to go. That's incredible. I don't know if I know you say
0: you've talked to other podcasters about it. Have you come across anybody else that that does it that way?
1: No, uh, which is kind of surprising. I mean, maybe I'm just weird in that way, but it's so much easier for me to go like, oh, I screwed that sentence up, stop, pick it up, go again, versus all right, I'm all done recording, let me go through and find the good ones and take out the bad ones and move it all where I want it to be. I just arrange everything so that it's right where I want it to be as I'm doing it. Wow, that's
0: that's freaking awesome. And it's okay, so, I don't know, Hopefully the listeners are interested in this, but I'm always super interested to hear how other creators who are all again people who didn't come from the audio industry that are figuring this shit out as we go along that how everybody does does it different like so we my my, my uh method of doing that what you're what you're talking about is this dog clicker trainer mm-hmm. <laughs> so for me when i do a recourse you know i have someone else editing for me on the back end but after when i screw up a line i go and so it puts a little sound wave clips in there so yeah. when they edit, that they can look through and see, okay, that was a retake, that was a retake, that was a retake, and and they just real quick cut out the bad parts before right. they start the edit. And then there's other people that just write down. I know people that write down tam- timestamps as they go along. It's it's, but uh, the way you do it, that sounds really. How, I I could just imagine how nice it would be that when you're done, that your your audio file is actually there's nothing to edit out of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, all told an average episode recording wise is going to take me a little over two hours. And at the end of that two hours, my episodes done.
0: Yeah. I would say that's all that would be exhausting for me to record for that long, but that's because I'm not the one doing the editing on the other end. Um, but if I was editing too, on the other end, it would be a relief to know that I don't have to now do all that right after the fact. Do you yeah, do all your own
1: music and everything too? Um, I use, you know, stock music or, um, whatever free music you can get your hands on out there. Right. But you mix it all in the yeah.
0: in the recording. Yeah, yeah. I do and all the
1: mixes. I mean, if, as soon as you hit play on an episode, everything you're hearing, I arranged the way that it is and adjusted stuff. But again, I'm not perfect with audio. So there's times where I do something and then I listen back and I'm like, oh, that, that music's a little too loud and I got to play with it and just try and get it to where I think it works. But yeah, I do all that stuff.
0: That's cool. And it, it does. it Really, your, your episodes sound great. So you've been out five years now since 2017. Trace Evidence has—if you—you're getting real close to 200 episodes now, right?
1: Yeah, this week I'll release 195.
0: Okay, um, and then so in, in your uh, your episodic, so each week, uh, what what day of the
1: week do your episodes release? I actually just changed it. It was Tuesday for a long time. Now it's Thursday.
0: On Thursdays, uh, and each episode is its own case uh, that you discuss. And so the, the format is something that I wanted to talk about because I, I, I like the way I'm, I'm kind of that OCD person, that, re, that real left brain kind of guy. So I like the fact that I know what I'm getting when I listen to your podcast because there's a certain format that it's going to go through every time uh, where you kind of you start the first part of the episode and it's like a, re, a chronological retelling of the case. And then you do um, where you get into evidence and all that stuff. And then you do a segment that focuses on known theories out there and you discuss those. And it's kind of this. It might. It might describe. That's kind of how I hear it. Is that how you would describe it, or how would you describe your format?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how I describe it. To the point that when I write my scripts, I break them into two sections: one I call evidence, one I call theories, and that's it. Um, so yeah, the show is always. A little intro to what happened, background on the victim, as much evidence and detail about the case as I can give you. Then a short break, and then it's like, all right, let's take a look at the theories and see what makes sense and what doesn't.
0: Nice. Do you ever do any interviews at all, or is it always is it always your just your breakdown?
1: Um, I do interviews sometimes, but I generally don't use them for the show. Um, I don't like doing interviews on there. So I'll interview people related to the case and I'll work their information into the episode, but I don't bring them on to talk.
0: Gotcha. All right. So let's move on. Now we'll talk about the, the case that we're going to discuss today. It is the murder of Paul Featherman and Nancy. Is it Bo or Ba? How do you pronounce her last name? Ba. Yeah. Nancy ball. So this, this took place in June of 1979 in Hawaii. uh, And it's one of the oldest unsolved homicides in Kauai. Uh, which is the part of Hawaii where it's at? So, you want to give us the give us the breakdown of the of the Featherman and Ba case?
1: Sure. Um, Paul Featherman, Nancy Ba. Uh, they had seven years between them. They met when Paul was in his mid twenties. She was in her late teens. Uh, fell in love. He wanted to move to Hawaii. He had a thing for horticulture. He wanted to start a farm there. He wanted to live in a tropical area. Her family had done a lot of visits to Hawaii, so she wanted to go. He asked her to move with him. Her parents basically said, wait till you're 18, which was like six months away.
0: Mm-hmm. Day
1: she turned 18. He sent her a dozen roses and a plane ticket to Kauai. They went out there. They tried to make it work. It wasn't going exactly as they had planned. They both picked up jobs working at a resort. They, got a, they rented a little house on Weke Road near Hanalei Bay. And then one night they got invited to a party with a coworker according to everybody at the party, everything went fine. Paul doesn't show up for work the next morning. So they call the guy who had the party, ask him to come in, replace him. Instead of going to work, he goes to Paul's house. I'm imagining because he wants to say, you go to work. I'm hungover, right. um, And he finds Paul dead on the floor, face down in his bedroom door. And Nancy's missing. So from that point on, he calls the police. They find that Paul killed with a 12 gauge shotgun blast to the face. They assume that intruders got into the house when they found Paul's body. He was nude except for a pillow that was under him. So they think he heard a sound in the night, picked up a pillow to cover himself and go check it out. And as soon as he opened the bedroom door, somebody shot him. Mm-hmm. Initially they thought it might be drug related, but they don't really find any drugs in the house except for a couple of joints and it's Hawaii. Um, right. so <laughs> they don't think too much of that. Uh, But they find money laying out. The house isn't searched through. So now they think it's targeted. Nancy's gone. They assume she's abducted. So they start looking for her. They don't find any signs that she was injured in any way. So they start asking around. And eight neighbors reported hearing a gunshot or a woman screaming or both uh, around 12 in the morning. Nobody calls the police. Nobody goes outside to check it out. Nobody wants to get involved. So she's just gone. Do you know
0: if that's to, you know there's there's like you know there there's neighborhoods in Boston for example where you know people aren't going to call the police they just don't talk to the police or you know, in certain areas that I know of do you know, do you know is that like kind of a common thing in in Hawaii for because that seems crazy if I in my neighborhood if I heard a shotgun blast and a woman screaming everyone is going to be calling the police immediately I just can't imagine people just letting that go.
1: Well, there's a couple of different things with that. One is Paul and Nancy were white folks and in the late seventies, buying up land in Hawaii didn't make you very popular if you were okay. you know, white. And then, you know, you weren't the locals, the people who grew up in Hawaii, they weren't a big fan of people coming in, buying stuff up. So right there, they probably had people who didn't want to get involved. But beyond that, at the time, in Kauai, there was a lot of organized crime stuff going on with some local families who were involved in some pretty sick stuff. So it just kind of seems like with everything that was going on, people generally had an idea of what might have gone on here and who might have mm-hmm. done it. And these were not people that they wanted knowing they were talking about them. Gotcha. Then that
0: makes a lot of sense, especially the organized crime aspect of it. Yeah. If they, people know that's going on, then, yeah, you, I could see not wanting to get involved.
1: Yeah. So... Pretty much nobody was very helpful. All they had now was a time frame and a woman screaming and a gunshot. They mm-hmm. eventually get a report of a guy who's illegally camping on the beach. And he's telling people, I saw two guys dragging a woman up the beach, a white woman. So now the police try to track him down. They finally find him. He tells them the same story, but he doesn't want to give descriptions. He doesn't want to get involved. He's like, I told you all I know, and I'm not telling you anything else. And he kind of disappears after that. Mm-hmm. So investigators kind of hit a dead end. They don't know where to go with it. But then they start to find some weird stuff like Paul's father was called anonymously and notified that his son was dead before the police had identified him. So somebody knew enough to be able to contact his family. So they started thinking, well, maybe this is people that knew them and it's not connected to the organized crime thing. So then they start looking at the guy who showed up at the house that morning, who was supposed to go to work, but went to the house instead. They're wondering, did he know what happened here? Uh, Mm -hmm. But they never really could pin anything on him for that. And really, after 1979, they spent, you know, however much time they spent trying to figure this out until it became a cold case. And they kind of just let it go after that. And it wasn't until more than 30 years later in 2012, they got hammered really hard with major storms. It ripped up a lot of the shoreline and out of the ground popped the body of Nancy Baugh, who was about two miles away from the house she was taken from.
0: So she had been buried in the storm, brought her up?
1: Yeah, she had been buried near Violi Stream, a couple of miles west of the house that they were living in at the time and probably that same night. And because so much time had passed, they couldn't tell you how she was killed, if there was a sexual assault involved and all that. It was pretty Uh much just bones that they pulled out. How did they identify her with their skeletal or through DNA based on the location that the body was found? They got DNA from her family. Okay. Gotcha. And then they were able to match it up with that. Yeah. So then
0: did the police make any progress once her body was found? I know the case is still unsolved.
1: From what I understand of it, um, the police know exactly who did it. Uh, they just don't have the evidence to do anything about it. One of them's dead um, mm-hmm. at this point, but pretty much nobody wants to talk about it. It's one of those things where if you speak to anyone who lived in that area at that time. They know who did it. They're just not going to tell you who it was. It was one of the first times I've ever had a source on a case. Mm I had spoken to someone who lived in the area at the time. And this person that I spoke to was so afraid to talk to me about it that after answering a handful of questions, this person blocked me on Facebook and all social media and will not speak to me anymore. They basically said, I don't want to be involved in this in any way. And it's been more than 30 years since this happened and they're still afraid of these people.
0: Wow. So are there, are there theory, theories out there that are floating around about who committed this crime?
1: Oh yeah. Um, the primary theory is that it's connected to organized crime, which isn't, I guess what we imagine it to be like when we think of the Italian mob or whatever, it's mostly a family thing down there. Mm-hmm. And there was a family that was tied into a lot of illegal activities. And in that family were two brothers who were known as being vicious, violent, evil, and nobody wanted to mess with them. One mm-hmm. of them is gone. The other one is still alive. But those are the prime suspects. The crazy thing about it is neither the police nor the people nor anyone I spoke to will say what their names are.
0: So you so even you, you don't even know what the, the names of these kind of prime suspects
1: are? I was given a name by a source. But I tried to track it, and it didn't lead me to anywhere. I couldn't find any of the answers I was looking for. I couldn't find any articles about these people, nothing. So it could be the name I was given. It could be a different one. All I know is that it's two brothers. Oh, wow, and that one of them has passed away. Yeah, and that they were in and out of prison. They did a lot of bad things, and they're connected to a lot of disappearances and murders.
0: Was there anything that... That was known to connect the family to this this family of organized crime. Any reason why people think that they're the the uh, organized crime group, these two brothers might have uh, might have targeted
1: them. The only thing that I've come across that makes a connection is allegedly at the party they went to a couple of hours before the murder and abduction. One of the brothers was there, was hitting on Nancy. She wasn't interested, and I think Paul kind of told him off. And that seemingly for these two was enough to be like, we should go kill him and abduct her. Wow, that's insane.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, people should definitely check out that this episode um, on the Paul Featherman and Nancy Ball case on your podcast. Do you have it it, for a new listener? Is do do you have a favorite episode that you direct somebody to go listen to if they wanted to check
1: out the show? Um, I have a couple episodes that I like a lot. Um I'm trying to think of what the number of it is. I believe it's episode, yeah, it's episode fifty two The murder of Arena Yarmalenko. That's okay. an episode that I put a lot of time and effort into. It's a really fascinating case, and it's still ongoing because it's a case where arguably they kind of railroaded a guy and got him convicted, and mm-hmm. that conviction has since been overturned. Because there was so much evidence supporting the fact that this guy did not do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but rather than look for new suspects, the DA basically said, I'll just try the same guy again. Oh, wow. Did they convict him a second time? No, it hasn't happened yet. Oh, so that's still awaiting a trial.
0: Okay, good. yeah, That he, was episode his, number 52? Um,
1: yeah, it's crazy. I did this episode inside of the first year of the show. Uh-huh. And over four years later, it's still pending because his conviction was overturned about a year ago. Wow, that's crazy.
0: Well, there there are close to 200 of these episodes to choose from. They're all very good. The format's awesome. The sound design is great. His name is Steven Pacheco. The podcast is called Trace Evidence. Check it out. It could very well be your next big true crime binge. Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. It's been great to meet you.
1: Oh, thank you. It was so much fun
0: to be on here. It's nice to meet you. Yep, and I'm and this time I'm gonna I'm gonna find you and meet you in person at Crime not let you stand in the corner and hide from everybody.
1: That'll work. I'll probably be in the corner so it won't be hard to find.
0: <laughs> so look in the corners to find you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, perfect. Take care, everybody. You too.